morning. Thank you all for your giving. Uh, Psalm 118 and 24 says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and we rejoice, and we are glad in it. Uh, Why are we glad in it? Why are we glad? Uh, Are we glad because I'm sitting in an empty room, uh, looking at a camera at you on the other side of this camera, sitting on your couch or wherever you're sitting? Not necessarily. It'd be nice if you were here with us. Am I glad that my good friend and brother, Pastor Chris Johnson, isn't here as planned to deliver a word? Uh, Not so much. I'd love to have seen my friend. Um, And a few days ago, we agreed that we would not do that. But we are glad because Jesus is in the boat. There's a story told in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew 8, Mark 4, Luke 8, of the disciples being in the boat with Jesus. And as they were on the lake, there was a storm that suddenly and furiously appeared, and the waves overwhelmed their boat. Jesus was laying on his Tempur-Pedic in this boat, uh, sleeping, and the disciples rushed to him and say, Hey, don't you care about us? We're about to drown. Save us. To which Jesus said, where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? And he looked to the winds and the waves. He said, shh. He rebuked them, told them to be still, and they were. The disciple says, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. We are no doubt in the midst of storms right now. Doesn't feel good. The projections don't sound good. And yet Romans 8 and 28 says he works it all together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So why are we glad in this day? Because Jesus is in the boat. Never promised us a storm-free life, but he does promise us a storm-proof life. He's in the boat, which means peace is in the boat. Rest is in the boat. Power is in the boat. Wisdom is in the boat. It's not lost on me that we are actually in the midst of a series entitled Reconcile to God and Each Other in a moment where the guidance is to not be together. Be nice to be together to talk about reconciliation. It'd be nice for our victory groups to practice during the week the reconciliation about which we are speaking. But I hope that you know, and if not, I pray that you're encouraged today that God is not confined to our ideal conditions. His power is not confined to what we consider ideal. And so, welcome to Victory Church. How blessed are we to be able to commune this way with our Heavenly Father together. Um, Thank you for tuning in. My name is Paul. I'm privileged to serve as pastor here at Victory Church, and I'm just grateful that you decided to tune in. Grateful for every volunteer who, on a weekly basis, serves as unto the Lord, and particularly now, those who are ensuring that we continue to grow deeper in our relationship with God and each other. And so indefinitely, we'll be coming through this medium, our YouTube channel. Um, And during the week, we'll be starting up a daily, uh, I don't know if it'll be daily, but a podcast devotional uh, where we can just stay connected uh, with one another. And our prayer calls on Monday night that we've had going for over a year now will continue. And so we hope that you'll uh, connect with us in that way. Great to have you uh, joining us today. Turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at verses 15 through 21. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through uh, 21. And as you're finding that, uh, it never 
grieves me to repeat, as the Apostle Paul says, to, to uh, just say again how appreciative we are of every volunteer on this, all volunteer staff who work incredibly hard, though simultaneously they recognize that the heart work is something only God can do. Uh, and that's an awesome kind of servant leader to have. And so I'm grateful for all of you. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, and we will, we will pray uh, prior to reading. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to read your word together. Help us as we study. Open our eyes so that we can see all that is in your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21. I'll be reading from the NIV. I hope you'll read with me from your couch. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph, saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Title of uh, today's messages uh, are two words that, uh, whenever uttered, completely changes the game, changes the situation. Words we utter in church quite often, uh, and yet haven't yet titled the message toward this end here at Victory Church. Title of the message is "But God." But God. Um, for those who come to Victory on a weekly basis, or you just know me really well, you know that. Uh, that I really like to enjoy the game of basketball, all sports, but particularly basketball. Uh, once upon a time, I enjoyed playing the game. Now I enjoy trying to play the game. Uh, and I've always enjoyed watching the game. And before the NBA was suspended uh, due to the coronavirus, there was a game maybe about a week ago between the Los Angeles Lakers and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Lakers prevailed, and after the contest, the reporter was interviewing Patrick Beverly of the Clippers asking him what it was like to defend LeBron James, a Lakers star. And he started out with some words of, is it a challenge to defend? And he couldn't get the rest of the question out before Patrick Beverly said, no challenge. Reporter followed up, tried to continue with that same line of questioning. Patrick Beverly said, no challenge, cutting him off again. Conversation continued. He said, it's not hard at all. Now, it would have been understandable because LeBron James is one of the best basketball players ever. I'll leave it safe in that regard. I won't go any further. You can drop comments in the YouTube thread if you'd like to go a bit further, and I'll chime in later to rebuke any heresy. Uh, but he is definitely one of the greatest basketball players ever to have lived. And so it would have been quite understandable for anybody being interviewed along those lines to say, you know, we just we do what we can to slow him down, make it difficult for him. He's a great player, but not Patrick Beverly. Chicago born and raised, Patrick Beverly said, no challenge. And I thought to myself, if anyone were to have that attitude, it ought to be the people of God. Issues on the job, 
Promotion maybe didn't come like we wanted to. No challenge. Bad health report. No challenge. Three tests in a week and two papers. No challenge. Kids at home for two weeks at least, parents. You can declare with me by faith. No challenge. My wife Taylor and I can remember when there was literally more month than money. And I took the Dave Ramsey classes and appreciate them. We'll have them here this summer. And there was nothing, though, Dave Ramsey, to cut out. There was no Starbucks coffee to cut out. We cut everything out. There was just more month than money. The challenge was real. However, the God that we serve has never met a challenge he's not overcome. And he lives on the inside of us. Where is your sting, death? Grave, where is your victory? Jesus conquered both death and the grave. And if he's living on the inside of us, 1 John 4 and 4 says, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And yet because we are not God, at times we are tempted to be overcome, tempted to feel defeated, tempted to feel Tempted to feel beat down, tempted to feel like there is no way back from the harm, from the difficulty, from the challenge, from the pain that we have experienced. And yet the main point today is that there is no match. Rather, there's no harm that can match God's rebuttal. There is no harm that can match God's rebuttal. And because Jesus lives on the inside of us, our prayer today is God, give us a glimpse. Give us a glimpse of your rebuttal. As we pursue reconciliation to God and each other, it's incredibly important that we keep that reality in mind, that there's no harm that can match his rebuttal. It can be hard for us to wrap our brains around because there are times, if we're honest, where we can't even see the opportunity for God's rebuttal. Harm can be so devastating. We can't see beyond it, whether that harm has been uh, intentionally crafted by those in our sphere of influence Or maybe it just comes knocking on our door without an appointment to the fault of no one in particular. The harm could just be living life. I don't know. But whether the harm comes intentionally, not intentionally, it just shows up. The reality remains the same is that there is no harm that can match God's rebuttal. And what's neat is that sometimes God gives us a glimpse of his rebuttal, which is our prayer and our declaration today. God, give us a glimpse. Let us see a little bit of your will in heaven done on earth. And in our text, we get a glimpse of how God can take any circumstance and turn it around for his glory. I'm not saying he sent the circumstance in this context or yours. I'm not saying he caused the circumstance. Not giving any particular reason as to why you or I go through the things that we go to go through I am saying, though, that God can turn whatever that situation is around for our good. And to appreciate the main point of the message that we've pulled from the verses we've read today, I want to go back and spend a good bit of our time today just unpacking the story of Joseph so as to emphasize and reinforce, exacerbate, if you will, God's rebuttal and what it means, not just in this story, but what it means for you and for me. When Joseph was 17 years old, he experienced Dreams that were revealing God's will. 17 years old. Slight parenthetical. The youth's time is now. 
We are investing as heavily as we possibly can here at Victory Church, meeting with the teens in Greenstone on 5th on Tuesday evenings, our Victory kids here every single week. We believe that they can experience God now and be a vehicle, a conduit through whom they, the Holy Spirit can speak to you and to me. Joseph is 17 years old, experiencing very powerful dreams where God's will is being revealed. But like any 17-year-old, myself included, just a few years ago, <clears throat> I can see you laughing through the lens. He could have used some guidance with how to communicate or how to guard that dream appropriately. If he had some guidance, he would have had somebody come along and say, Joseph, hey, great, great dreams, but maybe, maybe think about how you want to tell your brothers that your dream involves all of you guys being out in the field, finding sheaves, and then your sheaves go to raised up above the rest of theirs, and they bow down to yours. Let's think about that. Let's think about how you articulate that to your brothers, Joseph. Let's think about how you tell them that the sun, the moon, and 11 stars all bow down to you. Genesis 37, that's what Joseph told his brothers. In just that way, he could have used somebody to tell him, to mentor him in saying, here's how you can guard the dream in your heart. His brothers had already hated him. They were all wearing uh, Grandpa Isaac's hand-me-downs, if you will, while Joseph, favored by his father, was given the new coat from, from J. Crew, Brooks Brothers, wherever. So they were already upset. He was the favorite. Another parenthetical, Ephesians talks about not, not provoking your children to anger. Parents, let's not do that. Let's train them up in the instruction in the way of the Lord. Close parenthetical. They had already hated him. And so in chapter 37, when, when Joseph's dad sent him out to the, his brothers in the field to check on him, it says the brothers saw him from afar off and already started to conspire to kill him. Not unlike him, there are things, there are stuff, there are situations coming at us every single day that are not out to play freeze tag with us. They're out to take us out. They're out to take our career out, out to take our, our bank accounts out, out to take our physical health out, out to take our confidence out. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Adversity doesn't come to play games, and so his brothers were not either. They were saying, when we see him coming... We're going to get him. We're going to kill him. And thank God for Reuben who said, hey, do no harm to the boy. King James Version says, don't sin against the boy. Let's just throw him here in this little cistern. And Reuben's idea was, you know what? If you throw him in there, I'll, I'll save him. I'll get him free from the brothers who want to kill him. And so when Joseph did make it to them, they snatched the robe off of him, threw him in this empty cistern, and went off and got some Chick-fil-A like nothing had ever happened. Many of you ever had things come your way so devastating perhaps intentionally crafted by others, only to watch them go on as business as usual? His brothers threw him in a cistern. Sure, they didn't kill him, but a cistern's like 20 to 30 feet deep. It's got a two to three feet pear size opening, which is hard to get a human being into. And then I would gather they didn't gently lower him down. There wasn't a belaying system to throw him into this cistern. They went off and got some food. And then they sold him for 20 shekels to the Ishmaelites less than the typical 30 shekels which an exchange of this kind would have warranted. No value for his life whatsoever. They hated Joseph. Ishmaelites took him to Egypt where they then sold Joseph to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials. And so here's Joseph, 17, living the good life, got the good, nice clothes. Brother's out in the field. He's at home. Thrown in a pit, sold into slavery. I mean, no, that's a bad day. 
for anyone, let alone a 17-year-old. I don't know what was going on in his mind. I don't know what goes on in your mind when you encounter the unthinkable. And maybe it wasn't being thrown in a cistern, but you felt certainly like you were in a pit. Maybe now you, we feel like we are in a pit. And yet in the 39th chapter of the book of Genesis, it says the Lord was with him. How many know, if we can pause there for a moment, that the presence of the Lord makes all the difference? All the difference. Isaiah 43 and 2 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, they will not set you ablaze. They won't burn you. So Joseph ends up, after being thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, Potiphar recognized the Lord's hand is on him, gets elevated in Potiphar's house, only then to be accused falsely of indiscretions with Potiphar's wife, back into prison. Ever, ever, not back into prison, but sent to prison. So he's here, then he's down, then he's up, which made me think, God, I feel like I'm making some progress. You ever feel that way where you feel like you're finally coming out only to relapse for some reason or another? Sent back. I was just making my way forward. Joseph felt like, okay, maybe I'm coming out of this. No. Potiphar's wife falsely accuses him. He ends up in prison, where in prison he's interpreting dreams and long story short, ends up in Pharaoh's house because he is called upon to interpret Pharaoh's dream. And Pharaoh, again, recognizing God's hand on him, says, you need to be up here stewarding what you just said this dream is all about. Joseph's 30 years old when he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Seven years of plenty, and then there's seven years of famine, which if we do the math, it's probably about 20 years now since his brothers had seen him. But his brothers and everybody else were now coming to Egypt to buy food from Joseph. Some hurt some of us have been going through for a long time. Or maybe the hurt was 20 years ago. It's 20 years since he was thrown in the pit. And there may be hurt you've had that you still carry for 20 years. What does it look like now to participate in God's rebuttal? And particularly, what does it look like to participate in reconciliation to him and to others? Joseph gives us a really good glimpse at that. He eventually reveals himself to his brothers. He tells them he's going to provide for them. He has all of them and his father moved to Goshen. He gives them the best of the land, which I know is exactly what you would do to the folks who tried to take you out. When you come into some money or some fame, you would say, now who tried to keep me from getting here? How might I bless them and serve them? I know that's how you think. Joseph is an incredible example, an amazing human being in terms of how we participate in the reconciliation that God wants us to participate in. Reconciliation in action. He says, come, live here. Have the best of the land, which was in Goshen. But then when Jacob died, says the brothers Started to wonder, is he going to forget now? Was that all because daddy was alive and now he's actually going to get us back for what we did to him? And that's where our text picks up in chapter 50, verse 15. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? Pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Daddy said this. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came in through themselves, threw themselves down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. 
Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. I want to pause there and just say there are so many, a myriad of things that would show up on this side of the comma in the sentence of our lives that bring pain and agony and harm and hurt, unfathomable loss. But for all of us within whom the Lord lives, the stuff, the stuff on this side of the comma, all of what we've just described, all of what Joseph had endured, the unthinkable, only magnifies or exacerbates or emphasizes then what comes on this other side of the comma. You intended to harm me, comma, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. There is nothing on this side of the comma in Joseph's life, in my life, in your life, that is too difficult for God to rebut or refute or to completely shift and reverse on this side of the comma. No matter what the intentions are of the people who might be involved in that, no matter what the situation is, if on the other side of the comma it says, but God, that changes the game, changes the, changes the situation, completely refutes, completely reverses all of what was intended on this side. You intended to harm me, but God. You intended to bankrupt me, but God. You intended to marginalize me further, but God. You intended to keep me poor, but God. You intended to tear me down with your words, but God. You intended to kill me, but God. Sexual abuse you endured as a child should have ruined any chance of you having a godly romantic relationship, but God. The physical abuse that you've experienced in your life, it should have destroyed your sense of worth, but God. Your health diagnosis should have depressed you, but God. The coronavirus should have already snatched your faith, but God, but God, but God, but God. God says, hey, I've seen this before. Sin entered the world through Adam, jacked some things up. But God said, I'm going to come down, take on human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, incarnate, live a life that you should have lived, a perfect one, without sin, although being tempted. I'm going to die the death you should have died. And guess what? I'm going to be raised on the third dead day. And the but God, in that regard, allows you now to experience a but God in your present day situations. That's good news. There is no harm that can match God's rebuttal. And we, like Joseph, we get to participate in God's rebuttal. People in our sphere of influence now get to see through our lived testimony, Jesus Christ. People get to find God through our peace in the midst of the storm. Through watching our forgiving where forgiveness doesn't even make any sense. Except that we understand that there's a but God in the sentence of our life and that changes the game. And as I close, Joseph says then in verse 21 to his brothers, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. He reassured them. He spoke kindly to them. And regardless of what causes us harm, may we, like Joseph, recognize the providence of God and assume the position for which we were all created to serve. 
May we participate like that in the will of God to see the saving of many lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for always being greater than any harm that would befall us, any intentional damage to be done to us, any unintentional circumstances that could bring harm our way. Thank you for being greater. May we be a people of faith that recognizes as such and proceeds in a manner that says, you know, particularly if individuals are involved in our harm, I'm here to serve. I'm here to love. I'm here to care. You might be sitting on your couch now and you have yet to really experience the reality of God's power in your life and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ and today you want to commit to having one. I want to pray with you. If that is you, just repeat these words after me. Lord, thank you for your love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and I believe in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And today I commit to turn away from everything the Bible calls sin to follow you with all of my heart. I know this life in you isn't storm free, but I declare today it's storm proof. And I receive you and the but God that can be my reality, period, in life. And for all of us, God, who know you as Lord and Savior, I pray amidst circumstances that would attempt to create more division between us as people, whether relational distance or otherwise. God, I pray that we would be agents and stewards of reconciliation as you called us to be in 2 Corinthians 5. That you would call us to rise above and see with the heavenly perspective and earthly predicament and see greater the saving of lives that might come about from the situations we've had to go through. Help us not to be accusatory in any way, though coming to you genuinely with questions we have. But help us to lay low before you and say, God, you are in control. And however you want to use this scenario to bring glory to your name, use me. Use us. And may the peace of God, Philippians 4, that passes all understanding in this season, guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Bless you, Victory. We'll see you next week, YouTube channel. We love you. Thank you, worship team.